0: Hello, my name is Joshua Gilliland, attorney blogger on Bowtie Law and with Jessica Meterson on The Legal Geeks. Thank you for listening to this recording on initial disclosures and how to use electronic discovery tools to comply with your rule 26A disclosures. Initial disclosures are self executing procedures pursuant to the rules. You have to do them automatically. Now, let's break down the rules so we we can understand what we have to comply with. A party must identify all electronically stored information within its possession, custody, or control to support any of its claims or defenses in a lawsuit without waiting for a discovery request, and that is under Rule Federal Rule of Civil Procedure, Rule 26A, Two, A party must make their Rule 26A initial disclosures based upon the information reasonably available to it. It's important to understand the timing of when this happens. Litigants are required to make their initial disclosures either at or within 14 days of their Rule 26F meet and confer. However, A different time can be determined by court order or stipulation of the parties under Rule 26A1C. The Rule 26F conference must be as soon as practicable and at least 21 days before a scheduling conference is scheduled or a scheduling order is due under Rule 16B. A court can order a different schedule under the rules, and the parties are required to make or discuss arrangements for their initial disclosures at the Rule 26F conference. It is extremely helpful to map out these deadlines with a calendaring application so you don't miss any due dates, because when you think about date of service and how that determines the Rule 16B conference, which then in turn impacts the Rule 26F conference, which then impacts when your initial disclosures are due under the rules. That all happens very, very quickly, and you need to be aware of this so you don't miss the requirements and, and end up in trouble. Now, let's ask the practical question of what happens if you do not provide your initial disclosures. If a party learns of something that should have been included in their Rule 26A initial disclosures, they must supplement their disclosure in a timely manner under Rule 26E1. If a party fails to identify ESI that supports a claim or defense, uh, that can result in that discovery being excluded from the case. Rule 37C gives Rule 26A sharp teeth that can really just knock out something that could be important. So it's important to not forget to include that, or uh, there's no Perry Mason moments of going, we're going to hold on to this and surprise somebody later. You, you just don't get to do that. The material, if it is excluded from being used in pleadings or the case in chief, it can be used for impeachment. However, no one wants to be in that situation of hoping something is stated that you will use as impeachment because if it really is that important you shouldn't end up with it being excluded in the first place. Now that we have an overview of the rules how can we use all the wonderful e-discovery applications to comply with the requirements? Tools that we have today are phenomenal. If a lawyer from 1981 was to see what we have today their jaws would drop. We are way beyond an Atari 2600. We are way beyond a Commodore 64. We're not playing Oregon Trail as we do our initial disclosures. We have some serious technology uh, that can be used. So as a preliminary matter, one court noted that providing a description under Rule 26A and then waiting for a Rule 34 request is not the best way to to make your initial disclosure. Citing the federal practice and procedure uh, guidelines, this court stated a listing of material by category suffices. The objective of such a listing is to enable the other parties to make informed decisions about which documents they should request uh, be produced pursuant to rule 34 and to enable them to frame document requests that will avoid squabbles about wording. The purpose of the Rule 26A initial disclosures is to identify the ESI that supports a party's claims or defenses. This is what we have. So how do we use our applications to find this information. Well leveraging visual analytics, which is a fantastic visual display of communications, be it emails, text messages, any way that we are communicating and different applications have different ways that they can do this, you can start seeing the patterns. You can see this is the time frame when our case took place. Here are the key players and when you can visually see that, uh, that makes determining what you need to include a lot easier and a lot of these applications can export out to Excel and and other ways to get out the information uh, that could be included in your initial disclosures. Uh, Another feature with many products is email threading that can be used to identify communications by category to comply with your uh, initial disclosures requirements. Moreover, email with content relevant to the allegations of a complaint could be identified down to the custodian and the file system pathway when it comes to actually identifying cares where it is uh, without actually producing it all the way. The elephant in the room, of course, is predictive coding, which is data analytics that learns from a human reviewer on what's relevant to a case. And that can definitely be leveraged uh, if you are a plaintiff or defendant and determining your information. Now, a note for plaintiffs, because there isn't just the Rule 26A requirement, uh, but you also have Rule 11 in being able to conduct a reasonable investigation. Uh, so before discovery kicks in, when you're looking at the pleading stages and starting the case to begin with. Uh, this technology can't, it can only be used for initial disclosures, but your Rule 11 requirements as well. Uh, Granted, we don't have fact pleadings in the United States, but being able to use this tech to conduct that reasonable inquiry that meets your Rule 11 obligations can also then apply to Rule 26A, initial disclosures as well, when you're doing your first research. The real Issue is seeing which predictive coding application best understands the content of the data as it relates to the case, which then can identify ESI responsive to specific causes of actions or defenses. A lot of the demos that I've seen on the predictive coding applications, they don't get as focused as I would like them to in being able to say this data set pertains to the first cause of action, which is breach of contract. And this data set pertains to torturous interference with the contract or uh, one of the other business torts that could could be related. It starts turning into a yes-no situation. Uh, is it relevant to the case or not? And not getting down to the cause of action level. And when we get down to the cause of action level, I think that's where we'll see some fantastic use of predictive coding at the initial disclosure stage and being able to show uh, ESI that supports the claims or defenses down to a very granular level. Once you have done that, you can export out a report, be it to Excel or whatever export mechanism there is, that then can be included as your initial disclosures uh, and hopefully serve as a basis of discussion at the Rule 26F conference to narrow the scope of discovery by date, file type, and everything else so we can focus on the merits of the case and not get lost in gamesmanship and overwhelmed with data. Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time.